3: Before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice.
1: What happens next? Will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
3: This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
4: We are going to talk when we get to uh, your killing Me Smalls about some of the comments of Blake Snell from the Tampa Bay Rays. And he basically ripped Major League Baseball today and said, uh, hey, I'm not taking any less money. And that's fine. I mean, he signed a contract for the amount of money, $7 million, that he was supposed to make this year. And if he didn't want to play, he's more concerned than he should be about his health and says he's putting his life on the line to mm-hmm. play if he wants to uh To play it that way, that's his right as an American, as somebody who signed a contract, as a Major League Baseball player. But if they play and he doesn't, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of difference. I don't know how many, not to take a shot at Blake Snell, who has won a Cy Young Award before, Mm -hmm. but I'm not tuning in to watch Blake Snell on TV.
2: I, no, and I also think while it is is right as well. There's, he's not going to be the only person that feels this way, and that's his choice. But for every Blake Snell, there's going to be how many other, what? five ten players behind him ready to take his spot mm-hmm. so i think as long as we can get enough people together to cobble together the rosters let's go
4: michelle yesterday the los angeles rams revealed their new uniforms and uh, you are a fashionista oh, so i want to uh, i want to get your take on the rams new uniforms for 2020
2: I mean, for lack of a better term, I think they're trash. Um, it looks like you had an intern at PacSun Sun throw something together. Uh, I don't know why they don't just take the easiest page out of the playbook and look at some of the great Rams uniforms uh, throughout history and just pull those back from the archives. I mean, if you're opening this new stadium and you're cementing your return back to Los Angeles, the easiest, most logical, no break. Our decision would be to bring back those Rams whites and say, we are Los Angeles Rams football. Here's a nod to Deacon Jones and the fearsome foursome. And this is what we want to represent as we walk into this new stadium for the first time. And who's going to be angry with that?
3: Well,
4: apparently some fans are. Even though the Rams did say at RamsNewLook.com, the beloved royal and yellow are here to stay. A bold, clean look inspired by the color of a ram horn in the sands of L.A. That's like their off-white, not-washed road uniforms that they have.
2: I think it's called bone.
4: Yeah, that's what they're calling it. And it's not great. <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm actually pretty liberal when it When teams bring out new uniforms, I'm okay with many, and I'm actually okay, liberally speaking, with their blue jerseys with yellow pants. The blue on blue is awful, and the absolute worst is the bone, which looks like it has iron-on numbers.
2: It does, and, you know... For lack of a better term, it looks like prison sheets, you know? It looks like (laughs) sheets that have been slept on by many different people and that have been washed a million times.
4: They're they're crazy. Now, these are Rams fans that responded to their announcements on Twitter. These look like generic number fonts and uniforms from NCAA Football 06 or Madden 06 when creating a school or a team. Uh, so true Great call Here's another one It's official The Rams have the worst uniforms in the league And that's saying something uh, Let's go with uh, another one, one that, A positive one says Let's go uh, Here's another Rams <laughs> fan How do the Chargers get five uniforms and we get two?
2: Great question I just, there's so many little pieces of this that annoy me. I hate the gradient numbers, kind of the ombre numbers that start yeah. from yellow and go down to the bone. You're trying too hard. You're doing too much. It's it's too much. I hate on the logo where it says Rams, kind of the patch. They have that stitching that looks like a little squiggle. Mm. What's the point of that? It looks like 1990s, like it's from the Rugrats or something. Yeah.
4: It's it's amazing to think that highly paid, creative people from NFL properties and the people that the Rams put in place would come up with what you're talking about. And this one from Javier Estrada in L.A. I'm saying this with respect. Fire your creative team.
2: <laughs> I seconded Javier. I second that sentiment. It's just they clearly don't. Even really, they don't have an identity. You know, that's the thing that I think is really interesting about this Rams regime that's in there now. They so desperately wanted to make this move back to LA, and it seems like they put all their time and energy into swindling St. Louis and lying on St. Louis and just getting to LA that they didn't really even have a plan of action once they got there. It's like they're trying to be something that they're not. It's it's like trying. It's like a kid from the Midwest moving out to California, dyeing their hair blonde, and saying, "Hey, I'm a surfer now." Like, hey. Yeah. 10 dude what's up Calabunga and all the kids from California are looking at them like what what are you talking about get out of here noob like that's what they are they're the noobs in town and it shows well
4: and you've got a franchise right down the street the Dodgers that have been to -to back-to-back World Series you've got a franchise like the Lakers who despite a a mom-and-pop operation have been able to bring in LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis you've got the Angels who have the best player in baseball you've got the Kings who have won a couple of cups now the Rams are in cap hell. Uh, They've got tons of dead money because of the release of Todd Gurley that they gave a contract to that they didn't have to. The release of Clay Matthews because they gave him a contract that they didn't have to Uh, because of the uh, trade of Brandon Cooks because they, they gave him a contract that they didn't have to. And they never have a number one draft choice. Next year, they could lose Jalen Ramsey, who they gave up two number one picks. He's a free agent next year, and there's no guarantee they're going to be able to sign him. And that nucleus that went to the Super Bowl for them consists of a quarterback that there are a lot of questions about and Aaron Donald. And that's what you've got now. And it it doesn't seem like from a creative standpoint, from a financial standpoint, (laughs) from a personnel standpoint, that they can do anything right.
2: And they're certainly not giving the few fans that they have reasons to spend a ton of money if and when they can go to that new stadium. You know, I mean, they this for them to be successful in this endeavor, they either a have to win a Super Bowl or b get a ton of fans in the stands and generate a lot of money. Right. Right. How many people in L.A. are going to want to buy these trash uniforms? No one. How many people in L.A.? Post-pandemic are going to want to drive up to Inglewood and spend a ton of money to watch a mediocre team play. Probably not a lot. So unless they win a Super Bowl, which after everything you just laid out, I don't see that as a, as a likely scenario. They're going to be a general failure.
4: And think about it from this perspective. If you are the surfer kid that does go and blonde his hair, dye his hair blonde. Mm-hmm. And he, for whatever reason, he's got a lot of discretionary income, but doesn't have an emotional attachment to a franchise in L.A. Are you? But you have discretionary income to spend on one or two teams: Lakers or Rams, Lakers, Clippers or Rams, Clippers, USC or Rams, USC. Yeah, yeah, UCLA or Rams. Um, UCLA might, might be a coin flip. Chargers or Rams.
2: I'm going Chargers because they're California based. You know, even mm-hmm. though they move from Sandy. See, that's the thing. Even the Chargers, they knew what to do with their uniforms. They don't. They don't have a lot of. There's not a lot of love lost in LA for the Chargers. Are certainly struggling more than the Rams in the quote fan department. But at least they have an identity. At least they know who they are, and they're just hoping that people jump on the bandwagon.
4: Yeah. My point is, is that if you are an overall sports fan, there's two basketball teams, there's two college football teams, there's at least one, maybe. If you're a bandwagoner, you don't go to the Kings or the Ducks at the moment. But you certainly take the two baseball teams and the two basketball teams and the two college football teams over the Rams. And maybe you take the AFC team because their tickets are a lot cheaper and so you might be able to go to another sport. And they're probably right now as we speak a better team, the Chargers are.
2: I hope that they continue to be. Me
4: too. And they're, they're... getting free money out of this, the Chargers are. The deal that they worked, they don't have to do anything. They can just sit like we're sitting in our studio right now, and they get 15% of the revenue from that stadium. Wow.
2: I don't wonder, to your point about a sports fan in L.A., if you say, okay, I have X amount of because everyone's budgeting, everyone's looking at their finances during this time. Mm -hmm. If they're saying, okay, when I'm allowed to go to a sporting event, I can budget X amount of dollars. I don't know how many people are saying, I'm not even going to mess with the Chargers or the Rams, and I'm just going to save that capital so that I can watch LeBron while I can here in L.A.
4: That makes sense.
2: That instead of going to yep. 5 Rams home games, home games, you would rather go to one or two Lakers games to watch LeBron, especially after the after, you know, the tragic loss of Kobe. I think so many sports fans and particularly Lakers fans are saying, "I need to cherish this time that we have with LeBron in a Lakers uniform."
4: I agree with that. I would. And, and I think I might do the same thing for the Clippers. Mhm. Right, because you, you get a chance to see Kawhi and Paul George. Yep. I, I, think I would be inclined to go that way. And one other note: uh, season tickets. We talk about discretionary income. Season tickets for the Rams start at hundred and five dollars per game, and you have to buy a fifteen hundred dollar PSL before you do that. So your initial investment is three thousand plus two thousand for a pair of tickets. So five grand for your first season of watching the rams in that stadium is that all that's all that's for the lowest price
2: ones how do you think that the rams and their brass if you will are receiving this backlash over the uniforms do you think they're stressed about it do you think they even care do you think they're doubling down saying oh no people will come to like it how do you think that they're because they're getting universally torched over how bad these uniforms are
4: they're tone deaf So it's not that they don't care, it's just that they don't understand, and its we know Kevin Demoff well enough, his thing is, well, it's not the uniforms, it's the people that play in the uniforms and how they perform. That's how he's couching this. No, it is the uniforms. Everything that you do, when we're we're cheering for the laundry, we want to like the laundry that we're cheering for. If we're going to buy a jersey, we want to like it. So... It's a lot more than the uniforms not mattering and it's the player. I'm not going to buy an ugly jersey. I'm not a jersey guy, but I'm not going to buy an ugly jersey for a guy. This is the Rams. I bought my Todd Gurley jersey two years ago when they signed him to that biggest contract for a running back in NFL history. So I've got my Rams jersey. Are are you going to buy an Aaron Donald with their recent history? No. I'm not either. And... Ultimately, if you're going to ask people to make an emotional investment, if you're going to ask them to, as Jerry Seinfeld said, cheer for the laundry, then the laundry better look good. And the overwhelming majority of people, even among Rams fans, don't like this laundry. It looks like two bananas is what it looks like. That's Eric Dickerson, and he's right.
2: (laughs) That's the perfect description.
4: It is. So uh, that's our little shot at the Rams for today, the L.A. Rams.
2: It doesn't even have to be a shot. It's just accurate it really is i would love to get a player off the record and ask the players how they feel suiting up in these in these uh, digs every sunday and
4: the it, it looks like plastic numbers on the road jerseys those are going to be the worst they look very inflexible
2: they do but you know imagine you go to the packers and what it means to put on that mm-hmm. packers uniform every sunday well you know for certain franchises where you go in and you put on an iconic uniform or they jazz it up a little bit and you're you're pumped to play in that uniform I don't know how hyped I can get to throw on this PacSun collab.
4: I'm not excited about it. I'm with you. <laughs> so, and th- there was a player, Tony Jefferson, went to the Ravens a few years ago. Why did he sign with the Ravens? Because he liked their jersey.
2: Wow. So. Interesting. And if you're sitting at home choice. now, you're, you're a
4: free agency, you can't leave home, you can't visit any place. How do you pick a place? Yeah. Jersey. <laughs> That's uh, Michelle. I'm Randy. It's great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. That's next.
3: What's totally killing Smalls right now?
2: You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls,
3: with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN.
4: Okay, what's killing Smalls is uh, her computer or laptop right now because she left her charger at home.
2: Yeah, rookie mistake.
4: (laughs) So either we better get going or we'll just wait and see. The the, the over-under, this segment will end at uh, about 9.26 and 5 seconds. Do we make the eight minutes?
2: I'm going to say yes because I like okay. to project positivity. Okay. But in the past 2 minutes during the break, we've dropped from 13% to 8%. That's good. I've had the notification pop up that the computer will fall asleep soon if I don't plug it into a power source, <laughs> and it's making a very disconcerting noise. It sounds like a fan is doing overtime in here and that it might explode at any minute. So, <laughs> we better get going. All right. Because You're killing me small? Again, Because we might have to break early if this doesn't work. All right, Randy, we talked a little bit last segment about Blake Snell. He was uh, on his Twitch streaming channel playing a video game and started talking about the possibility of coming back and playing this season. Uh, And he says, quote, y'all got to understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less play. I got to get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I'm making is way lower, why would I think about doing that? Like, you know, I'm just I'm sorry. And so the Tampa Bay Times reached out to Blake Snell, um, to obviously follow up with a comment and he says he know people are going to view these comments as him being greedy, but that's not the case and he said I quote I mean honestly it's just scary to risk my life to get COVID-19 as well as not knowing and spreading it to others I just want everyone to be healthy and get back to our normal lives because I know I miss mine
4: if he feels that way more power to him and who are we to tell Blake Snell how to feel and if he doesn't want to go along with the rules that His players association and major league baseball make whatever they are and he says he wants his full salary his full seven million dollar salary regardless of how many games they play if he doesn't want to play under those circumstances that's his right
2: it is his right and i see both sides of the argument i see the players looking at the situation saying i want my full salary i don't know what my career is going to look like moving forward and i need to make sure that i get every ounce that i can so that i can you know provide for my family i get all of that but I don't know how you can expect anything else optically than you saying I'm not playing unless I get my full seven million dollars, and you don't expect the general public to look at those comments as greedy. It's going it's, oh, it's, whether it's fair or not. That's the way it's going to be perceived. Right.
4: It, it is greedy, but if he, my, my point is, if he wants to be greedy, that's right. fine. But here's the thing. If they play half the amount of games and they're doing so without fans, logic would dictate that revenue streams are going to be much less. And that's why the owners are coming to the table with the proposal that they're coming to the table with. And if he doesn't understand that, there's nothing we can do about it.
2: I wonder if guys like Blake Snell might change their minds if this all does happen. As As we get closer to the situation and as negotiations intensify, if they see that other people are willing to take their spot, if they in fact choose not to play, and they see the public backlash that is fairly or unfairly probably waiting them, if they say, I'm not going to play, I don't want to put myself at risk if I'm not making my full dollar amount, I wonder if societal pressure, if peer pressure, if pressure in general might change their minds.
4: If you're married, pressure from your wife. Exactly. You, you got that, you're making $7 million a year. You probably have some payments to make. Right. And like you said, there's going to be somebody that will be willing to take that spot on the 35 or 45 or 50-man roster. So, yeah, I, I would think that would apply some pressure.
2: Well, and it's hard to really have that argument because... He's saying, I'm the one putting myself at risk. God forbid I get sick. God forbid I, I pass it along to other people. But you're saying that that's worth a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. That, that fear and that sentiment has a price tag, and that price tag is $7 million.
4: If his conviction is that strong, though, about the money, and if he truly believes that he's putting his life at risk by doing it, and he doesn't play because of that, and he's willing to stand by his conviction and not take any money and give up a year of his career— I'll have more respect for him.
2: I agree, but I also think that there's always going to be a part of me that will look at that argument and say, this isn't about your health. This is about the money on the line for you to sacrifice these things everybody has everything has a price whether it's it's emotionally mentally whatever everything has a price and i just don't know how many americans and how many baseball fans are going to be willing to swallow the fact that people like blake snell are saying hey my health and safety and your health and safety is it's worth seven million dollars to me
4: i i hope that his personality is such that he cannot care
2: yeah i agree
4: and it better be if you're going to take that approach then you better have uh, a pretty thick skin
2: You're killing me, Smalls. Last segment, Randy, and really all day. We've been poking fun at the Rams for their terrible, terrible new uniforms. (laughs) Gosh, they just make it so easy for us. Well, the 49ers have gotten in on that bandwagon. They tweeted out a photo of two 49ers players in their very fresh uniforms. And the caption on Instagram says, Imagine not having the cleanest uniforms in the NFL. Couldn't be us.
4: (laughs) Nice jab by uh, the rivals. But, rivals.
2: are they still rivals I mean I don't know does that still exist
4: one team's got to win I, I, probably because of what the Rams did two years ago yeah it's probably a rivalry
2: yeah I don't even know I don't pay attention to them I don't know if there's bad no uh,
4: NoCal and SoCal rivalry so oh, it's, okay. it's, yeah the people uh, The they, well, they literally kill each other yeah so it's a rivalry
2: I meant football wise
4: oh yeah I think so like when the 49ers fans took over the Coliseum last year I think that caused a little bit of a rivalry when John Lynch essentially called it a home game. <laughs> it was pretty funny.
2: I just imagine that there has to be people on either side of the argument that care for it to be a rivalry. That's a good point. <laughs> and, you know, I just I don't imagine a lot of people in L.A. are that invested in these Rams, and a lot of people in, in San Francisco, if you're not getting that vitriol and that hatred back, is it really a rivalry?
4: Yeah, that's true. They, The 49ers fans probably hate the Seahawks more, wouldn't you think?
2: Oh, without a doubt, for sure.
4: And, and Pete Carroll and all of that.
2: You're killing me, small. Well, speaking to fans, Randy. How's your computer doing? We are at 4%, so we are cruising right along. We've got, what, two, three minutes left in the segment? I think we're going to make it to the end. (laughs) (laughs) The, The noises that are coming out of this thing, I've never had a computer straight up die, at least at work the noises that it's coming out of this computer is disturbing disturbing it's possessed anyway randy speaking of fans we know that the rams are probably in luck because they won't be embarrassed when no one shows up to the games because it seems like any sporting events that are going to be happening live within the near future aren't going to have fans in the stands and there's a great piece at cbs.com about if there's no fans allowed in the stadium do you really have home field advantage
4: I've been wondering that and no you don't you might as well play it in a sound studio or an airplane hangar because and Joe Buck pointed out by the way that uh, they they actually might have sound for a home team Going into this season coming up, and that comes with a huge asterisk, and hopefully there is a season, there's probably going to be a season in doing
1: games with no fans, which uh, will be difficult. I I think Fox and these networks have to put crowd noise under us to, to make it. As you think normal viewing experience at home. It's pretty much a done deal. I think whoever's going to be at that control is going to have to be really good at their job and, and be
4: realistic with how a crowd would react, depending on what just happened on the field. So it's really important. And then on top of that, they're going to put, uh, they're looking at ways to put virtual fans in the stands. So when you see a wide shot, it looks like the stadium's jam-packed. So it sounds to me like the Sound is gonna be there for the benefit of the T V audience, not inside the, the stadium. Mm-hmm. So no, there will not be a home field advantage. So yeah, for the Rams, nothing will change.
2: <laughs> I wonder for teams other than the Rams, how that's going to impact them. We talked we talked about this a lot. New Orleans? But yeah. I mean there's we've we've talked about it in relation to college football, in relation to baseball, to hockey, but In the NFL, I mean, that's going to be huge. I mean, think about Seattle, you know, when it's so loud in there that you can't hear the count. I mean, that's something that is certainly an advantage for the Seahawks.
4: Right. There's no doubt that that'll have a huge impact, uh, and it'll make the best team win. It'll make the, the most talented team win. By the way, did you see yesterday in the Korean League, the NC Dinos won their game on a walk-off, and then they went out to in front of the pitcher's mound, and they bowed to the mannequins? <laughs> Amazing. It <laughs> was awesome. Okay, the computer made it? Well, I closed it. Oh, okay.
2: I, the The noise was bothering me, and we were okay. at 2%, so I just... You know what? I ended it for him.
4: Okay. That was a great. You're killing me, Smalls, here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our Blues insider from The Athletic is Jeremy Rutherford, and he'll join us to talk about all things Blues and all things Rutherford household
3: with Carriker and Smallman. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go
4: have blues hockey tonight as we run through last year's run to the cup play Gloria here on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford is on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jr. good to have you with us. How you doing? Good to be here, guys.
2: J.R., um, you know, people are clamoring for a shower update from you. I know it sounds weird, but <laughs> last week you, you told us that you hadn't showered in essentially a week. You were just really letting the Ozarks take over. So what's life like at the Rutherford household? Are you punishing your family by not showering? What's the deal?
1: Yeah, no, uh, it was funny Colin just asked me before we came on did you take a a shower this week and I had forgotten about our hit last week and I said uh, do I do I not take oh last week at the Ozarks yeah so uh yeah we got a couple showers in this week and uh actually slept uh in the bed with my uh, little 7-year-old son last night um so he didn't say anything so I guess I'm I'm kind of clean here.
4: <laughs> That's what we'd like to hear. Hey, JR, <laughs> the uh, hand pass game, as I said, we'll air it tonight here on 101 ESPN. And you mentioned that you have uh, a couple of fun facts from the hand pass game against San Jose last year
1: yeah what a crazy 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 night and uh you, you go back to the hand pass game, Randy Michelle. you guys know how it is in the press box once the play happens a lot of people are at home watching t v they got the they got the uh rewind uh they can watch the replays. Well, what are we doing? We're heading down to the locker room because uh we we got to get down there quick you got to go through the the freight elevator so I didn't originally see the hand pass live now the game's over now you're heading downstairs. And I think I tweeted something along the lines of, that might have been a hand pass. And I got about 3 million replies that said, <laughs> you think? <laughs> you think? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I haven't seen the replay yet, but I think it's a, it's a hand pass. So uh, Mike Russo, my colleague at the Athletic Covers The Wild, he texted me right away and he said, that is not reviewable. And so uh, you tweet that it's not reviewable. And, and people were just going absolutely bananas you guys uh, were in the locker room, you remember the feeling when we went up to each player and uh, we said, what does this do to you? What do you think about the call? So on and so forth, and and they just all brushed it off. And we were all looking at each other as media members saying, we can't believe they're not upset. Well, come to find out, we all know now that Craig Bruby went in there and said, let's move on. But let me give you another story. Uh, I was the pool reporter that night. And just for people who aren't familiar with pool reporting, Only one reporter is allowed to talk to the supervisor of officials, so you have to go through some steps. But I finally got Kay Kay Whitmore, who was in charge of the officials that night. took about 35, 45 minutes for him to come out after the game. But I was able to say, Kay, what happened? What did you see? And all he would say, I probably still have the, the tape on my recorder. He said, it's not a reviewable play. And I said, Kay, was it a hand pass? It's not a reviewable play. And he just kept repeating himself. And the one thing I'll never forget, there was another NHL official standing nearby. And as I finished the interview and I started to walk away, he looked at me and he said, don't kill us. (laughs) Because he knew they were going to get slaughtered. And uh, I'll never forget that. Don't kill us.
2: See, Jr. as you're recounting that, when you're saying that that's what he was saying, you know, it's not a reviewable play and wouldn't take ownership of the fact that it was a, a missed call, I'm getting angry just listening to that. And and I know what happened, and I know that the Blues obviously emerged victorious. But if that wound and that anger is still so easily accessible for me, I still cannot believe that those players were able to check those emotions at the door, turn the page, and move on. Were you surprised that they were able to move on so quickly?
1: We just kept, yeah, I was, and and we just kept asking and peppering them, and you know how it is. That's why they get tired of the media is to try <laughs> to find fifteen different ways to ask the question, right? And and so I think with uh, the, the the gobs of reporters that were there. I remember we kept peppering uh, David Perron, and I think he finally looked at us and said, guys, you're not going to get anything out of me. You know, it's just the way it is. And I think we said, you know, Chief must have said something to the team, and of course he did. So uh, it, unbelievable. for uh, him there And, and uh, calm the team down and for them to listen and just bite their tongue.
2: Jer, I mean, you had a front row seat to every moment of that magical ride. And there's so many major things that we look at. We think of the Pat Maroon game. We think of Boom Boom Gunnerson. Where does the hand pass game rank for you as far as those those games that really kind of set the tone for the Blues inevitably winning? Because even though the Blues didn't win that game, to me, this is always the game that I will look back on and say, this is when I knew that this team was different and that they were champions and capable of, of getting it done.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to top uh, taking a leak next to the coach and saying I'm going to go out and, and uh, win the game. It's, it's really hard to top that. But but I think the hand pass game, in terms of just how they went on after that series and dominated the Sharks. I don't know if you guys have the stat, what they outscored like 12 to three the rest of the way or something like that. It was it, it was just crazy uh, how the, the Blues just uh, got past that game and played so exceptionally well. And I do think once they they won the next game and and were able to to win that series, uh, they said, look, we can win this. You know, whoever we play in the Stanley Cup Final is going to be a tough opponent, uh, but we've overcome so much. And and I just think... That, that the attitude after the hand pass game is just what uh, Chief uh, ingrained in them throughout the second half of that season. Hey, we're going to have challenges. We're going to have things that that uh, go against us. Uh, but what was the big word that we remember writing and saying all last season? Uh, the second half was resolve. They had that uh, resolve uh, just to, just to move on it, and that was the poster boy of the uh, resolve was that hand pass game jr
4: your colleagues at the athletic are doing a great job of staying in touch with the powers that be in the nhl it doesn't seem like there is a lot going on at the moment it seemed like last week the week before there was a lot more going on in regards to perhaps setting something up to bring the nhl back have you heard anything lately
1: yeah no it's weird because uh, we were actually getting some sort of heads up on uh, there was going to be an announcement on the early June draft and then that came and went and now Bill Daly's saying that might not come until next week. It seemed like they were moving forward on, on some of the details, but I think the biggest thing here... Uh, Randy and Michelle, is they just don't want to uh, rush anything. So you heard uh, Gary Bettman say at the uh, seminar, the web seminar, that uh, he still feels like they're going to play hockey this year. And as Pierre LeBrun has reported, the return to play committee continues to meet, I think, back to back days, Tuesday and Wednesday. So they're trying to iron out a lot of the details that uh, just don't have anything nailed down yet in terms of an announcement.
2: Chair, one of the things that Randy and I have kind of kicked around is that the NBA and the NHL are relatively quiet compared to baseball. Baseball has at least floated out specific dates that they're hoping to return. Now, whether that comes to fruition or not is another story. But one of the things Randy and I were kind of wondering is if if the NHL and NBA are kind of waiting to see what happens with baseball and then they're deciding what they want to do. Essentially, I want to know if you think that this is an arms race. If there's any sense of urgency for one of these leagues to be the first one to return or if there is conversely trepidation and they're kind of saying we don't want to be the first one to do this we kind of want to see how it plays out with another league first
1: yeah no it's all, all great points um i don't think the nhl would be in a position where they're racing to be first uh, you know not that you said that but i'm just trying to think out loud here uh if you go back to when the nhl canceled they waited until the nba canceled uh, the night before, I remember being in Anaheim and thinking uh, that they could cancel then, and they didn't. They waited until that uh, first test in the NBA and, and, and then canceled the next day. I do think that baseball is probably um, the lead here. I know football is the big sport, but uh, with uh, baseball trying to get their season going right now, uh, that's all the conversation. And so, you know, Gary Bettman has said that all the the leaders of these sports have uh, been in contact Uh, With each other, so I'm sure they're working hand in hand uh, a little bit. I would think that the NHL is going to try to see uh, what baseball does, and even some of the plans that you hear—the pods, you know, going to Arizona, going to Florida—some of these things have been really similar. So, you know, I I would think that if baseball some progress on that front, I think we'd hear about some progress on hockey as well.
4: J.R., before we let you go, we've talked uh, about the Rams' new uniforms. What are the worst uniforms in Blues history?
1: It's got to be uh, the trumpets, the clowns, right? Uh, that's uh, that's a good one. Uh, you know what, though? I, I think that uh, this diagonal and the red, uh, since it's come back here with the retro jerseys, mm-hmm. it's changed the opinion of a lot of people. What do you guys think?
4: I thought that that was the worst. I thought that was worse than the one with the smaller blue note and then the word blues over the top of it. I, I thought that the red was worse. But looking back now and looking at the new red, I kind of will go to the one with the blues name over the top of the smaller blue note as my worst of all time.
1: Is it? Yeah, yeah, that is an odd one uh, when you go back and, and see that in old pictures and, and video. Uh, but I would have said the, the red and the diagonal, but uh, I think it, it's changed my mind. Listen to this. I'm 45 years old, and I'm going to say this word. I think it pops. Oh. I think it pops. I think it does, too. <laughs> Michelle?
2: Um, you know, I'm a product of the 90s, so I'm always going to be a fan of those red diagonal jerseys. I love those. I actually put on social media a motion to wear those the rest of the season. After the Blues wore them a couple games this season, I thought they looked amazing. JR, amazing usage of pop there, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, and just real quick, uh, talking to Jim Whitcock a couple weeks ago when I did a story uh, that involved those jerseys, he said the reason they wanted to get rid of them was because they were associated with Keenan and all the bad things that happened for those couple years. So when Jim Woodcock came in, he was in charge of the marketing. He he said, look, if we're going to turn things around here, the first thing that has to to change is is the uniform. So really interesting uh, that, uh, that that was the reason.
4: JR, great stuff as always. Thanks. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. You guys too. Thanks. That's our buddy Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford. You can follow Michelle Smallman on Twitter at M. Smallman and the Gram or the Insta. What do we call it?
2: IG, Instagram. I Instagram. Randy, Randy, you can call it whatever you want.
4: Okay. Well, I'm on the IG, too, and it's RJ Carriker, or you can follow me on Twitter at Randy Carriker. I'm going to change one of them. I'm not sure which one, but I want to get some conformity to my social media presence.
2: It's just easier to say, right? Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Randy yeah, or whatever. So
4: I will do that if I can figure out how. <laughs> We're going to have the crossover to Scoops with Danny Mac next on 101 ESPN.
3: Time now for The Crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, The Crossover on 101 ESPN.
4: Michelle and Randy with you. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up. Dan McLaughlin, the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest. Our teammate here at 101 ESPN is in the room. And Dan's a really good golfer. Dan grew up in South St. Louis. How did you become such a good golfer? Well, Where did
0: you play first of all, I'm kid. not a great golfer. I, you're really I'm, good. I'm okay. I enjoy playing golf. As you know, we play a lot of golf. And I grew up in South St. Louis. And um, interestingly enough, I, I like to work, as you know. Mm-hmm. Both of you guys know that. So I worked at Tower T. So I grew up at Tower T. I grew up going there as a kid in the batting cages. I used to literally take this huge rake pick up all the balls, dump them in the machine back in the day. And then uh, as my as, as I got older and I could drive, I used to, my, my days, my summers were spent playing American Legion baseball, working out, go play the game, go work out at a, a Gold's Gym 24 hours, and then I would go at 1 o'clock in the morning and go pick uh, the golf balls at night. And so um, there was a group of guys that used to come up there that... Let's just say they were they were older, retired pros, and um, they would like to have a libation or two. And I'm sitting there busting my you-know-what as they sat around and did their thing. And finally, there was a gentleman, an older guy by the name of Danny Biederman. God rest his soul, and we became very, very close, and he was a retired pro. He used to give lessons. So when somebody would be out on the tractor picking up the balls and then waiting to bring them in, and then I would pick them up and put them in the washer, and it would be 3 in the morning, the lights were still on, and I'd say, Danny, you know, give me a lesson give me a lesson you know like give me give me something i can work on and so i would bring my clubs every night and he would give me a lesson and then the next day i would be back at six a.m to cut the grass and do all that kind of stuff and maintenance and then we would go have lunch and that's what i would do every single day that's in great. my summers what, Yeah, what a great memory oh it was awesome tower t was great i was really sad when i heard the news that it was going to shut down and then i was really happy about it coming back and. Look, I understand times have changed, and things happen, and business happens, but as a sentimental guy, and I do get sentimental, I'm an Irishman, man. What do you expect? A lot of memories there, man. I mean, just going there with my brother and and hitting balls and and then playing the, the par three countless times, and then the betting on the putting green countless nights of watching the money exchanged hands between the pros that was fun too so the pros are betting on on the putting green right they're all doing their thing their side bets and then we would have bets on the pros and <laughs> who would win so that was always fun too There were just it was great characters up there and uh, I'm, i can't wait for it to open back up and and people to enjoy it too
2: all golfers dan have a club that that's their favorite what's your favorite club
0: oh tower t Old school Tower T Part three man takes me back to my my days. Of no, being like
2: in your golf bag. What's your favorite club? Oh, that
0: club. Okay, yeah, but uh, Tower, t-, Tower, t-, Tower t is not a club, club. But you know, yeah. it's not highly exclusive. You my <laughs> South City, but um, <laughs> uh, the, my favorite club is my Gap wedge. I I I love my Gap wedge. I can hit it different ways. I can choke down on it. Hit it low. Hit it high. You can spin it a little bit. That's that's it and anything i can possibly hit straight which is no club in my bag <laughs> like everybody else how about you michelle
2: um i am exclusively favorite towards my 7 iron love my 7 yeah yeah I, I hate my driver hate it so if if the distance is enough that i feel like i can use my 7 i'm go- i'm always going to use my 7
0: i used to be nails with my 7 iron mm-hmm. i mean i could i i was there i could pinpoint it i i had it I could judge wind conditions and get it where I want, and I can't do it anymore. Really? It's terrible. And I got a little Jim Furyk in me, too. I got, like, a little waggle at the top, and I got my swings in a million pieces. <laughs> it's just bad, man. It's just bad. But I love playing because it's fun. I love playing, too, and it's. Uh, I don't have a club right now that I like. I'm furious <laughs> with all of them. <laughs> you want to throw them out? Into the- I, I, this is bad. I, in, I guess it was November or December. I took a trip down to Florida with two of my buddies. First time I had done an actual just golfing trip and the two guys I'm with are really good. And let's just say I get a little competitive and let's just say there may or may not have been a little money on the line. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, uh, we're going down to one of the final holes. We are playing 36 every day, if not like 40 to 45, as much as we get in before dark. And so we're, (laughs) it's going back and forth. And I've got this, um, rescue club that I pull out and I usually can hit this thing Really well. I mean, if I need to keep it in the fairway, keep it straight, keep it where I'm wanting to go, I'm okay with it. And I don't. And I am just furious. And I'm embarrassed to say this because I get on my kids when they get mad in golf. I took the thing and chucked it in the pond. (gasps) I I was so mad. I said, I'm done with you. You've betrayed me. And I threw it out. (laughs) And then I got my wallet out and paid the guys, and I was. (laughs) Upset. <laughs> double man. Yes. So w- when I first started playing,
4: I thought that, well, the ball's not moving. I'm supposed to be good at this. And so one of the first three or four times I played, I had cheap Northwestern clubs and I did break one over my leg. And I th- I decided I'm never going to be good enough to do this. It's, you know, break it Bo Jackson style over your knee. And so that was just stupid. And I admitted it. But then later on, one time I'm out playing with Mike Kelly and I hit a bad shot with my driver. And I just and we we all do this. I, well, most of us, I guess, but I just uh, gently helicoptered it forward. You know, gently on. it was gently, gently, but it hit the back the bumper of the. Uh, Cart and broke in two. <laughs> and it was I did I didn't. You, you knew what you were doing. No, I did not throw it out of anger. It was more just out of mild frustration.
0: I said, "Come on, you're terrible, Randy." And I just tossed it, and it broke. What's the difference between anger, Michelle, and mild frustration? Isn't that just a level of anger?
2: Yeah, and I would think that <laughs> if, you, if your mild frustration is forceful enough to break a golf club, that 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 counts as anger. I didn't throw
4: it hard. If. Uh, I would give you guys this if, even if I hadn't broken it over my knee, if I had winged it and it had broken, I would say, yeah, okay. Cause I did admit breaking one over my knee, but this one, it really was just a soft toss. And it was just, it was the worst scenario. Cause I guess the club hit the, the
0: perfectly bad spot on the cart and it just broke. It's broken too. You know, that is one of the things when people ask me, what do you miss about like baseball and sports and stuff? I miss, um, my buddies on the road that I play golf with. You know, Mm -hmm. back in the day, I used to play with Mike Shannon all the time. Mike had the connections everywhere. He's America's guest, knew everybody. We're on the best golf courses you could possibly imagine, and Mike always liked to get out early, 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 so literally the sun is barely coming up, and the dew is still on the grass for sure, and they're cutting the greens and all that stuff, and we're teeing off. We're already on, like, number six. We, we'd be done by 9, 930, you know, but playing with Mike Shannon and hearing his stories and playing with Ricky Horton and playing with Tim McCarver and playing with Al a number of times, I miss that, and I miss like Chris Welsh is one of my really good friends, and we he's, he's the big, Reds analyst right, yeah he's the Reds analyst, and so he's a huge golfer, so we would play golf all the time if he was here, I had it set up here if i 'm in Cincinnati i'm at his place um you miss that man you just you miss the relationships with the the, the people that you see and you take for granted. Every single day, but hopefully we'll get it back. I'm positive that uh, we're going to have some semblance of sports coming pretty soon. You don't have to confirm or deny, but I wish you
4: would. But legend has it that there were people who would have tea times with Mike Shannon. He would walk into the hotel while they were waiting in the lobby, walk in, go up, get his
0: clubs, and come back down with his clubs ready to play. So basically what you're saying is that Mike maybe had not gone to bed. Yes, um, I, again, I can't confirm or deny, but that does ring a bell. Yeah, it does kind of <laughs> seems, uh, yeah, it seems eerily correct, I, but I, I can't confirm or deny. The greatest constitution of any man ever. It's I've never seen anything, you know, he's just, when they say they'll never be that or they'll never be this type of person. When they say there's never going to be another Mike Shannon, I'm a hundred percent, I'll take that take it or leave it, I'm taking that. That yeah. There is nothing like being around Mike Shannon on a daily basis. He's a, just one of a kind and a, just an awesome dude. Awesome. Looking forward to Scoops with Danny Mac. Chip Carey joining you? Yeah, Chip Carey's going to talk about uh, growing up Carey, growing up being the the grandson of the legendary Harry Carey and his dad was a legendary broadcaster, mm-hmm. Skip, and so Chip will be on and we'll talk a little baseball. Also talk about, because he was the voice of the Cubs in 98 and the documentary is mm-hmm. coming up and just what he wants to see out of that, but Really interesting stuff, hopefully, with, with Chip. I, I want to get into his family more so than just, hey, do you think baseball's coming back? So we'll see what he's got for us. Looking forward to that. Looking forward Be to it. Thanks, show. guys.
4: Freeze Pops, great to have you back. Great to have your machine not burning up today. Yeah, thankfully it worked today, so that's a win. So our producer, Tommy <laughs> Freeze, pops Carol, Colin Surrey, doing a great job and he'll be with Danny Mack during the course of oh, the next goes. hour. He's terrific. Does a great it? job. Wonderful job for us. Michelle, as always, this was a lot of fun.
2: This was fun, Randy. See you tomorrow.
4: We will do it again tomorrow and we appreciate John Brebbia taking some time with us today. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show, and until tomorrow at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That
3: was the character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.